Today's guest is Reverend Bill McDonald. During his previous time on the podcast, we talked about his three near-death experiences and his experience in India. Well, today I've got him back and we're going to follow up with his spiritual experiences and his unexplained events. Bill, thank you so much for coming back. I really appreciate you doing this for me. Well, it's it's my honor and, and being an Irish uh, Scotman, uh, you can't shut me up anyway. So if you didn't call me to be interviewed, I'd be calling up you anyway and talking to you. So at least we'll record it for us. <laughs> well, you're an Irish Scotman. Are you wearing a kilt right now? No, no. <laughs> well, I'd feel the breeze, right? <laughs> All right. So I've noticed that you have had an out-of-body experience and your wife has witnessed it. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I've had countless, hundreds, thousands of out-of-body experiences, but what makes this one a unique experience, and if you, you've you interviewed a lot of people, so you don't, out-of-body experiences, usually it's a, a solo thing. It's, you know, it's a soliloquy of, of spiritual adventures. I mean, you're by yourself and you nobody sees you. And everything. But this was what makes this particular one different than other ones. Because it is very rare that you have an out-of-body experience where you have a witness to it. Mm-hmm. What happened was when I first got married, and we're talking over 51 years ago, and I had I was in this routine when we first got married. I'd, I'd meditate about three to four hours in the morning and with chanting and everything. And then I would, at night before I went to bed, I'd at least two, three hours. That's a lot when you got two kids and you got a wife and you got to go to jail, you got to go to work. Uh, so I didn't get a lot of sleep. So I would wait till everybody was asleep and then I would meditate. So this one night I had a really, really beautiful meditation, uh, practicing Kriya Yoga uh, as taught by Self-Realization Fellowship at the time. And I was chanting. And when I left my meditation to go upstairs, um, I was feeling very light. You know, you just kind of blissful, very happy, in a good mood. And when I laid down in the bed, that picture back here of Paramahansa Yogananda, I believe you can see it. There's probably a bad reflection on it. But that's the original photo in that uh, frame. I was sitting on a nightstand next to my bed. And so I was just feeling so blissed out from the meditation that I laid there staring at that, laid on my pillow, and I just kept staring at Yogananda's eyes. And I'm staring at his face. I'm not blinking. I'm not moving. More importantly, I'm not thinking. I'm just staring. And I don't know if you've tried this before, Jeff, but usually when you stare at a religious statue or photo or drawing, if you really fully concentrate on it and really into it, it almost comes alive. It's almost like the eyes are looking at you. It's almost like the face is animated. It's almost like a holograph. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it and it's like a holograph. And I'm looking at the eyes and I just keep looking at the eyes and it draws me in. And all of a sudden, I'm drawn out of my body and uh, boom, and I'm floating up above my my bed and there's this cord attached to my body you know it's, at that point it's like a typical out-of-body experience 
And, and then I, when I'm up there floating around, then I remember my wife, because it was so hot upstairs, she actually went downstairs and was sleeping on the couch because and in California, when it gets hot, if you're upstairs, you don't have good air conditioning. It's it's warm at night, so you, you go downstairs. So, and I was missing her. And I go, oh, she's not here. <laughs> Shows you how aware I am. I'm meditating all day. And I, I'm not aware my wife's not even there, right? So I realize she's downstairs. And so I'm floating in this astral body with this thin attachment, this abimical cord, let's say, this silver cord, as I believe some people call it. To me, it was just, you just, it's a film. And I float down through the wall and I float down the stairs and I float across the room. I'm not touching the ground. I'm just floating towards who I'm thinking about. See, I'm thinking about my wife and that's where I'm being pulled to. She's laying on the sofa and all of a sudden, she wakes up, and her eyes are about silver dollar size, right? And she sees me coming towards her, and she's just sitting there getting tight, right? And I sit on the other side of the couch. She's on one end with her feet down this way, and I sit the other end. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there, or actually just floating on the couch. And she's staring at me. And next thing you know, the couch is physically levitating. It's actually lifting up about 18 inches off the surface of the carpet and it's floating around. And of course, you know, that's just, for nobody's ever experienced that before. That's frightful for her. I mean, she's kind of like, what's going on here? And she was starting to get frightened. So it was hard for me to stay there because it was this different kind of energy that kind of breaks it. So I'm looking at her and I tell her, I said, whenever you need me, not when you want me, but whenever you need me, I'll always be here for you. And then it was boom, snap, and I'm back in my body because I couldn't hold it because it was, she was, you know, had all this energy. It was fearful. So the uh, next day she gets up and she's going, damn, I had this terrible nightmare last night. And I said, no, let me tell you what happened. So I tell her the whole thing, right? And she goes, did you dream the same dream? I, I said, no, it wasn't a dream. Mm. We weren't having dueling dreams. Uh-huh. I said, this is what happened. She goes, don't you ever do that to me again. You scared me. So anyway, so it, it was interesting because she she then went in to describe everything just as she saw it from her view, you know, with the levitation and everything else. So it's when you get a confirmation of a mystical type thing, that is not uh a common occurrence. I mean, I have had a lot of verifications because I've had thousands and thousands of events, but you, all these things that happen to you, you don't normally have something verified all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody I've met that's ever witnessed their partner or friend or somebody in the astral body and, you know, and, and then talk about the next day. I, I'm sure there are people out there that have done it. And, but I'm also sure because of other body, out-of-body experiences I've had that as you're moving around the world, wherever you think you want to be, that's where you're going to be in this astral body. Mm-hmm. People, you can sense, or me as the experiencer, I can sense that that person kind of senses something. Like when you're in the movie theater, guy's sitting right behind you, staring at your back, back of your head, and you finally go, what are you staring at? 
What do you mean? He was staring at the back of me. Well, how do you know that, right? You do know that when somebody's staring at the back of your head, right? In the same way that when you're in an astral body and you're moving around, people kind of, there's that sense that something is different. But if you have a beautiful, positive, loving vibration that gives them a, a better feeling than if you were some evil person visiting, you know, doing a, a evil thing on them, that would be a whole different experience. But I do believe that people. Telephone. <laughs> Actually, that was one of your competitions for another radio show. <laughs> like you, like well, but, let me, uh, well, I was going to Anyway, ask so, so, uh, uh, out-of-body experience is really a matter because there's people out there that go, well, I've never had. Yeah, I think a lot of people have them and don't realize they have them. Uh, they're laying in bed. I've heard people talking. They're laying in bed and all of a sudden early in the morning, it's like they'd like they just fell under their pillows. Just like they all of a sudden they weigh, there's a weight. They went from dead sleep to, you know, it's like you just had a bad, a bad landing getting back into your yourself right mm-hmm. so I, I think it's more common but i think if you're advanced and if you are um, of a higher vibration and tuned into these things then you it's right you know you're going to do it you remember it there's some people that cannot even remember their nightly dreams mm-hmm. if you ask them after they've been up one minute after they woke up what they dreamt about one minute it's gone. So with an out of body experience, there are people having them uh, and being visited by them and they wake up because the consciousness, the conscious mind won't accept that as a possible reality because in their conscious life, two plus two equals four black is and white, you know, and Mm -hmm. up and down, Mm -hmm. they don't have a place in their belief system for that. And that's why small, young children, or big young children, but young children, uh, they see angels. They see the Virgin Mary. Where adults in the same room, same church, same field, wherever it is, see nothing. And they don't believe the children. Oh, the children's imaginary friends. Is it really? But when we discourage children from reporting these things and tell them that it's all their imagination, it doesn't take very long that that's gone. We destroy this in young children. Mm-hmm. So it's really careful, especially when you got children. My children, I'll say, hey, my grandchildren, you experience something? You experience. I have a young grandson, although now he's 15 and a half years old. He's practically an old man in high school. Mm-hmm. But when he was two, three years old, he'd talk about, He'd be playing with this helicopter, you know, in the front room, and he'd go, "Yeah, Grandpa, I used to, I used to, I used to be in one of these, just like this one, except it was different color." And I go, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, that's when I was when I was in the war." Uh-huh. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, children remember things. It's like that same young man. I'm sitting in the front room one day, and he's uh, he has a, another grandfather who uh, just passed away a few days before he was sitting there. We were babysitting him and he's playing with his Legos. And all of a sudden I start to talk to him and I go, Hey Johnny. And he goes, Shh, I'm talking to, I'm talking to grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, yeah, here I am. You know, and he goes, no, 
far away, grandfather. And that's what he called the other one that died, right? He's far away, right? The far away, grandfather. And I said, well, what's he saying? And he stops and he's listening. And he goes, I love you. And I said, you tell him you love him too. And so he did, right? And then I thought, he's having that wonderful experience at two, two and a half, whatever it was. And it's not just for him. So I thought about his grandmother, the faraway grandmother. They called them the farther away grandparents because they lived 50 miles away. Mm-hmm. We were we were close by. We were, mm-hmm. we were grandma and grandpa, but the other ones are far away, far away grandparents. And I says, I'm going to call your your other grandmother. And I called her up and she was uh, been crying all day. Her husband had just died days before and she was cleaning out his closet, his drawers, his personal effects, donating to the Salvation Army. And she was just, she was losing it. And I called her up and I told her the story. And I said, I, I think you got to hear this. I said, because the message was that he loved Gianni, but I don't think it was just for Gianni. I think it was for you too. Mm-hmm. And then that just was, I let it out and she just felt so much better afterwards, but it just, it was an emotional thing, but I really believe it was. And it's interesting. I'm telling that story because tonight about an hour ago in a hospital, she just died of COVID. Um, so it's, it's, it's odd how the story just kind of came into that, but she just died. She just now out of the body about an hour. Mm. And I'm wondering if she's visiting uh, my uh, little grandson, Gianni. Mm. So, um, yeah. So out of body experiences take many different forms. And Jeff, you've, I know that you've had them, mm. whether you remember them or not, that's, it's all a cellular, mental, emotional, spiritual process, but remembering them is not important. But on our journeys at night, be it in the dream world, be it in the astral world, be it in this world in an astral body, uh, there's a lot of ways you can navigate this other side. But it, it usually is where we learn things. We deal with issues. That's why when people are really, really depressed, what, what do they tend to do to feel better? Go take a nap. Mm-hmm. Sleep longer. It's an escape mechanism. For those people that don't meditate, they can either medicate, booze, drugs, something like that, or they can meditate. But you need to escape when things happen to you, like crazy stuff's going on in the world, and you could just, uh, big mistake right now, don't watch the cable news 24-7. You're not going to sleep well. So sleep is another way we leave our self, the body self, the self-identified self in the body behind. So in its own way, we can travel in our dreams, we can travel in our sleep. And as we advance and we change the vibrations and the light in our own body through our own meditations and things, we can change it from a dream travel thing to an actual different level of astral travel. Mm -hmm. So it is all on the menu for everybody except some people can't pay the price of the menu, which is usually a a peaceful, quiet mind. They don't have, they don't meditate. It's, it's not 
a random gift to people to have experiences. It's a developed and earned and learned ability. And that goes for clairvoyance, uh, uh, ESP, uh, smelling things, you know, like you could, I don't know what the word for that is where you could smell roses, different, different things of, of dead people and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these different levels of talents, uh, abilities, but it's all available to everyone that learns the art of shutting down thoughts. Thinking is what keeps us separate from this other light within ourselves. So teaching people and children to meditate most especially, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I, I'm a meditation teacher. I teach meditation, but I, I tell people, don't get so focused on the technique of the meditation because they'll, they'll ask a thousand questions about technique. I says, surrender. The big thing is to go into meditation with the idea of listening to the divine. Whatever shape that takes, I don't tell. You believe in Jesus? Listen to Jesus. You believe in Buddha? Listen to Buddha. You believe in God and this, you know, this light and you don't need a form? Great. Whatever way you see, feel, think God is, it's very accommodating because God is everything. So it doesn't really make any difference. So I tell people, whatever your comfort zone is, whatever you believe, do it. That's, that's, that's what you should do. Cause that's how you'll connect. So like me, I love Jesus. So uh, I can connect with Jesus and it's just a beautiful feeling. You can do the same thing with Buddha. You can do the same thing with anybody. It's all one. And as people understand, it's all one. And people go, what? No, 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 no. You, Jesus is, I go, look, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. I mean, it's like, come on. There's just one. It's it's called love. And that's what everything is created from. That's what everything becomes. That's what everything is. So all of us existing down here at this level, having this dream life experience, it truly is God's dream. We are projection in this creation. And God has created free will for each of us dreamers. We think we're the dreamer, quote unquote. For each of us dreamers, we have free will and we have karma because we believe we are who we are. And we have incarnations and reincarnations because we believe that this is real. But in essence, it's all God, dreaming God, experiencing God through all of his dream selves. And that's why when people tell you, I was this guy in a previous lifetime and I was this and I was that. Well, you know what? Since we're all one, as crazy as this sounds, then they're all right. Everybody was this. Everybody was that. Because mm-hmm. there's only one. It's like a Russian doll. Everything kind of fits inside of everything when you get through. It's all God. So out-of-body experiences, uh, the, the benefit of having them is that you lose the focus on the creative world and the limitations of this creative world. Now, some people have out-of-body experience from a near-death experience, whole different thing. 
And I try to tell people because people go, oh, I had a near-death experience. And now before I was enlightened, but I had this thing. Now I know everything. And I'm going, no, you had a near-death experience and, and you've learned something, but you're not enlightened. I mean, this is a 24-7 thing. If you're enlightened, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ballgame. We're all down here, you know, making no claims on anything. But one thing about having a, a, a induced out-of-body experience through meditation and having a near-death experience through an accident or an illness, I would think that I'd prefer to have an out-of-body experience in a more natural setting where I've I've called for it to happen. Yeah. So these people out there that hear all these beautiful stories and near-death experiences, and they go, yeah, I want to have one. No, you don't. Mm. No, 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 no. no. That's, not, that's not what it's about. You can have that same experience without dying, you can call it a spiritually transforming experience. You could call it a rainbow body experience. You can call it a samadhi. You could call it astral body. You could do all kinds of things. But all of those get you out of the body, this prison for the soul, the prison for the soul. And it frees you to see the greater, the all. But even that is not far enough. It's only the beginning. Because if you if you have astral travel, you have an astral body. If you're in the causal world, you have a causal body. If you're a rainbow body, you got a rainbow body. If you're a light, heavenly body, you're floating around and as a beam of light someplace. So it's like, or if you're th- whatever it is, as long as you still identify with the self, the I. The I means you have a body. Mm-hmm. It's only when you quote unquote wake up. And realize there is no there's no individual I. There's a greater us, but ultimately there's only one. One. That's it. It's just one. <laughs> well, what do you mean one? One what? Well, one everything. Mm-hmm. There's if you take creation and you take time out and you take space out, what do you got? You got reality. Because there's no time, there's no space. There's only now and there's only here. Everything's happening here. Well, when you go to heaven, where are you going? It's all it's all within. And that's why when I I was traveling one of my trips to India in the Himalayan mountain, and I, I met this holy man outside of a temple in the Himalayas. And he was telling me that I have no clue because I don't I'm I'm not a great re- reader of, of all these. Indian books and philosophy and stuff, but he was saying, you know, thousands of years ago, 20,000, 15,000, whatever it was, 25, a long time ago, back where a lot of people say, oh, we weren't that intelligent, we weren't that civilized. And he's saying way back that these ancient yogis uh, believed that what you see in the Milky Way, the stars and all that, if you could go down in the micro world and have a telescope, a microscope. Now, they didn't even have those things then, right? But their idea is if you keep getting smaller and smaller, if you go down smaller and smaller, looking at smaller and smaller stuff, that it would look like that. It would look like the Milky Way. Mm. So your body, and if your body was expanded and kept expanding, you'd be looking like the universe. There'd be all these stars and stuff because they believed there was these life trons, these 
what we call electrons and atoms and all these things in quarks. There was movement. There's little worlds with things going around. Gee whiz, sounds just like atoms, right? But they believed all these little worlds and things were happening in there. And they believed that the sound of all this energy moving like electrons around the nucleus and all this kind of stuff. They didn't even, I mean, they had the concept of that, but they didn't use that language. I mean, it was, but they, they knew there was this world within and these whirling worlds of energy emitted a sound, the sound of creation, the greater sound that you know as Om, or as, a, or as the Catholics or the other, other Christians would say, the Amen. It's not amen, like, you know, men or anything. It's, it's both the Christians and these other religions, and there's several other religions that use a similar sound. You got to go, what's amen mean? What's om mean? Where'd they come up with that? They're trying to recreate the sound of the universe, of creation itself. So in the Bible, when it said God created man and everything in his image, that's true. Because if God is the energy, which is love, in all these moving parts of all this cosmos and everything else in the inner cosmos, if, if God is that, gives life to that, then everything is made in his image. You take anything, my book, my phone, a ukulele, an animal, me, you, your microphone, whatever it is, right? Your hair, mine, no hair. All that is made of the same substance. And when you really analyze it, was it 90-some percent of, of, of this solid is nothing? Which there is no such thing as nothing, but there's space, right? It's like, what? What do you mean nothing? Mm-hmm. You know. So even when you find an atom or something, that's really nothing also. It's like quarks and strings and all that stuff. It's like, find me something. So... That's kind of where, I don't know what the question was, but I'm kind of going off on the idea that leaving the body is natural. It's the evolutionary journey that spiritual seekers need to take before they actually physically die. Mm-hmm. So if you can, as the Bible says, if you leave your body daily, you leave your body daily. What's that mean, right? Daily I die. Literally through meditation, you can transcend your thoughts. It's thoughts. It's thinking. It's the intellect. It's questions and the seeking of all this stuff. All that stuff keeps us here in the physical, creative plane. Because when you're having a great spiritual experience, or think about this. If you're working on a real concept, you know, you're writing a computer program, you're doing math, or you're trying to think of some way to solve a problem. People get very quiet. And they're not actually thinking about it anymore. It's like Einstein and like Thomas Edison and a lot of these other great guys. Thomas Edison would take a nap. He'd wake up from his 15-minute nap and idea would be there, right? So what they did is just kind of cleared the mind. Because we spend so much time talking, communicating, whether it's writing or verbiage or whatever, even with our divine creator. People go to God and they talk to God. They pray to God. They ask for stuff. They expect stuff in return. 
It's God is Santa Claus, right? Uh, hey, Lord, I need a new Mercedes Benz. Oh, don't let my grandmother die. Uh, cure me. My dog is sick. You know, whatever it is. I need a job. I need money. You know, if you truly have faith, meaning you truly trust that God knows what you need, then you would never ask for anything. Why? If you have faith, God knows what I need. Mm-hmm. Not what you want, Maybe. Like, well, I got cancer. Is that what I, I, maybe that's what you needed. Maybe that's what you needed to wake you up, to make you spiritual, to make you focus on your family, make you focus on doing the right things and forgiving and loving people. Who knows? I look at everything that happens to you. I needed this. Otherwise, why would it come to me? For my spiritual growth. To awaken me. To create empathy for others. Now I feel their pain. I know what it's like. I can help them. Whatever it is. We should always look at what surrounds us as a part of us. And that's where when you get leaders of a country who lose empathy for the people they're leading, it hurts the society as a whole. Mm-hmm. You need servant leadership, meaning the people who are leading your country and leading your nation you need to truly be there to serve. If you're the boss, you have to be what I call a boss servant. You're there to make sure your employees are are, are taken care of, are in a good mood, and they're, they get health insurance, they get all the stuff they need. You're there, not at the front of the line. You're gently nudging them forward and encouraging them. And that's what you do as a parent. That's what you do as a boss. That's what you do as a scout leader. That's what you do as a father. Whatever it is, whatever part of life where you are, directing others and you're trying to accomplish something. The only successful way you do that is to think how you can serve them so you can reach this ultimate goal. And that's trouble nationwide. When one nation thinks that they're, they don't need anybody else. We are the best. It creates problems. And when you start thinking you're the best and you don't need anybody else, that's a problem. So just metaphorically speaking, we need to reach out, realize that everyone, the guy that's out of work right now, the guy that's sick right now, the guy that's your leader, even if he's a bad leader, everybody needs your love. Everybody. There's no time for hate. There's no time for anger, especially now. There's so many people angry. And I go, well, you know what? You got to pull back from that. You got to do what you got to do to maintain order. Great. But don't hate anybody because that always, it, it never solves a problem. Yeah. You, you take power from somebody else and then you hate them and you want to punish them, right? Then you create somebody else that's on the other end that hates you. So at some point in time, you just have to say, it stops here. We forgive. Mm-hmm. Don't have to forget. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, if they got a debt, maybe they got to pay it. But you never. You never carry a grudge and you don't carry a hate. You can hate the sin, but you have to love the sinner, right? That's what the old Christian teacher from Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Love the sinner, but mm-hmm. hate the sin, right? Yeah. And that's huge because it really is. Because I tell people, there's people that had things happen in their life. I can never forgive my parents. I felt abandoned, whatever it happened to be. I go, you know what? All right, you remember that. 
But if you keep remembering it, you're never going to allow them to be forgiven. And it's not about them being forgiven. It's about you allowing yourself to release that anger. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's always about the forgiver. When you forgive somebody else, you set yourself free. You've let yourself out of a cage, out of a prison. Mm -hmm. Because when you hate somebody and you're angry with somebody, and I tell people when they're getting divorces, look, you loved each other. You were friends when you start. Don't end it as enemies. If you don't work out, you don't live together good, great. But you got kids, so you better be good to each other. You got, you know, you know, don't turn the kids against one another and all that. You have to become friends again. But you don't have to approve anything anybody does. And you don't have to tell, never tell anybody you forgive them. I mean, unless it's part of your 12-step program and you got to go out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's ego. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgive you when you do all this stuff to me in my life. But I forgive you. I mean, that's like, come on, in your face, ego. Right? You know, like you're better than them, but you forgive them, right? So forgiveness is done silently within your heart, in your prayers, in your meditation. So I spend a lot of time sending love and energy, not just to my families and those people I love. Anybody can do that. But to those people that have hurt me, tried to destroy me, lied about me, try to take my reputation, these kind of people. Betrayal is like the worst thing. And people have a tendency to hold on to that. Like, well, I talk to people at 80, 90 years old, and I'm listening to some grievance they have. And I go, when this happened? Oh, this my brother did this to me back in 1946. And this is like last year, right? 1946, my brother did this to me. I haven't mm-hmm. talked to him since. Mm-hmm. I go, well, what do you do? He said, well, you know what? I can't fully remember, but I know I was really mad. Hmm. I go, geez, you know, come on, wake up before he dies. So I hope that answers your question about out-of-body experience because it really leads into this whole other area that we really are not the body. Yeah. And and if you get really higher than that, and I kind of kind of stop there because people can understand that, but then when I go, it's not even really the soul. Then they go, wow, whoa, 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 because they can't give that up because that's them. You can't give that up. You can't surrender your identity because there's only one soul. There's the spirit. There's God. There's love. But when you identify with that, this is gone. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going to tell you about that because anybody you talk to has a body. Therefore, they're not fully evolved. Right. Fully awakened. Let me follow it up with this. You said okay. that you had many, I don't know, maybe even thousands of out-of-body experiences. Have you ever had one where you saw entities or you time-traveled or anything like that? All the above. All the above. Before we went on recording this, uh, I was telling you about Vietnam experience. Vietnam, 1967, I believe it was April 1967. I just come back from a, a, a bad day. I don't have bad days, but this was, I, I told some people not to fly a helicopter. I said it was going to crash and burn and kill everybody. And even though I knew it and I saw it and I felt it, I told everybody and everybody made fun of me. It's exactly what happened. And this was happening often because telling somebody 
that something's going to happen is not a normal communication. People don't listen. You think you could change people. So my thought was, well, if they know, they won't do this and this won't happen. But you know what? It was their destiny. And I was sitting kind of depressed. It was like midnight. Uh, I was out on a runway where we had our helicopters parked. I was on top of a human helicopter, mine. In case people wonder why I use the email address of Huey576, I was on Huey Helicopter 576. That was my baby. But I was responsible every night to to work on it, make sure that it was mechanically good for the next day. So I'm up there, and I'm the last guy on the flight line. And I got a – under my chin, I got a flashlight. I'm kind of holding it under my chin, and it's shining on the the rotor head. And I'm, you know, greasing it and doing something. And – which was really stupid at the time. I'm thinking back. I said, it's midnight. Almost all the lights on the base are out. And the snipers are out there, you know, about 200, 300 yards away in the jungle. And the only light they're going to see is right there underneath my head, right? Mm-hmm. I go, gee, that really wasn't too smart. Anyway, thought occurred to me that wasn't too smart at the time, mm-hmm. but I got to work on this, you know. So I'm there and I'm feeling really down and, uh, I don't normally ever feel down, even if you know, it, was a, it was a rare feeling for me. It was like, I got, I tried to save these people and I couldn't change their destiny. They didn't listen to me. Right. And I look up and sitting on top of this helicopter, there's this old guy with a beard, mustache, mm-hmm. kind of looking like I did at about, uh, 60-something years old, right? But I didn't know that at the time. I'm looking at me and going, but I knew that I'm talking to my, I'm talking to my future self. Mm. I knew that was me. And I'm looking at me and I'm talking to me. And the old me is saying, hey, you survive all this. Don't worry about it. And you can't change futures for everybody. You're not in control of other people's destiny. That's theirs. Got tears coming down for some reason. Crying. I don't know why. So I have this real long, wonderful conversation with, quote, unquote, the future me. And it calmed me down. I go, that's really good. Okay. And then the, the, the old me just is gone. Just I turn around, I look, and it's gone. And I thought at the time, I go, I must really be cracking up out here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, might have by myself what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Now, 1967, April, let's go forward to 2000 and whatever it was, 11, 12, 13, whatever it was, in the 2000s. <clears throat> I'm laying in bed, and I just had a bad day where I, I tried to tell some people stuff that was going to happen to them because I knew things were going to happen to them and they weren't listening to me. And I knew their fate was coming. Right. And I was frustrated and I'm laying there and all of a sudden, boom, out of my body. I'm, I'm gone. I'm not there. I am now consciously sitting on that Huey helicopter facing and looking at the younger me. Hmm. 
And I'm going, wait a minute, I've been here before. Yeah. <laughs> and the young guy goes, yeah, we've had this conversation. And I'm going, and he looks at me, he says, he says the young guy tells the old me, right? He says, remember what you told me before? You can't control the boy's fate. You only can control your own. It's not your job. It all works out in the end. So I had this conversation, a new, a new conversation, intermixed with memories of the previous conversation. It was like we did that time warp two different ways. Yeah. One with the young me talking to the old me getting advice, and then one with me, the old me, getting advice that I've already given the young me back to me at this age to remind me of what I said before. And then I was back. So that was one time where that was an interesting time slip. But then there was another time where I I kept having all these people. I don't know how much time we got here, but we kept – I got a long story here. If it, we got time? We have about 20 minutes left. <laughs> okay. I kept getting all these people telling me all the time, uh, you came to me in the middle of the night. You saved me from a suicide. You healed me. You encouraged me. You inspired me. You, all kinds of things. And all my life, people would tell me. I mean, strangers, they tell me. I mean, foster kids tell me that. I mean, all kinds of people tell me that story. And so, <clears throat> I mean, really, seriously, that, you know, like there was a story where a guy was going to commit suicide and I saved his life coming to him. And I'm going, is everybody I meet really crazy? You know, what's going on here, right? So I'm on a radio show in Chicago with this beautiful lady. She's interviewing me. And, and I, it was between commercial breaks or something. And I'm telling her this. I'm saying, I said, I said everybody goes crazy around me. They all tell me these things, you know, like I'm there and saved them from drinking and they gave up alcohol. And she looks at me. She doesn't look at me. She's on the radio, but I'm pitching her looking at me. Uh, and she just goes, that's not so crazy. You were in my house. You know, and we, we and I go, really? Okay, fine. That's really crazy. So a couple weeks later, I'm thinking about this, and I'm going to visit a friend in Santa Monica, and he lives down there by the beach and stuff. And uh, Venice Beach is where he's at. And I'm staying at his house, and I'm downstairs, and there's a sliding glass patio door. It's open because it's warm, there's a, and there's a screen door. And it's just a big, dark backyard and it uh between three something and four o'clock right around four o'clock four o'clock ish i wake up and i'm looking at the screen door which is about 12 feet away and i see a body i see a man all i can see is a shadow of the man because there's no light on him right but i could tell the body right and I know he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. Now you would think since you're living close to, to, you know, Venice beach with all the crazy druggies and everybody else, some man standing at the sliding glass door, which is no protection and it's unlocked. Right. And I'm laying in bed. You think there'd be a part of me that said, Hey man, let's whoa, What's going on? You know, turn the lights on. Get out of it. I didn't. I sat there and I'm going, huh? So the sliding glass door opens. and I'm still watching it again. Then I'm thinking, what if my friend, who I'm saying at this house, what if he got in a fight with his wife and he, he came out and he's, he's going to sleep in this king-size bed with me? And I thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. I'm going, 
So I took a pillow and I threw it on the other side. And I scooted all the way over to the edge. And this body, dark body, about my height and weight and everything, sits down on the bed. And I feel the, you know, and I go, okay, don't weird stuff. You stay over there, right? I mean, that's weird, right? And then boom, 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 I feel the bed go, boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, smashing into my spine, into my back, this body. And it's like an explosion in my back. I, I could feel light. I could feel vibrations. I could feel a bolt of electricity. It's like clear. Somebody put, you know, defibrillator on my spine, you know, one end to the other. It was like, shh, shh, shh. And I rolled over and there was nobody there. Hmm. And I realized that whatever this was had melted, melted joined in to my spine. It just went into my spine. And it kind of dawned on me. I go, I wonder if all these stories about me visiting people at night when I'm sleeping and I don't remember nothing, and them claiming all these things I told them and did for them and conversations and everything else. I wonder if it was this guy that just bumped into my back. Is it possible to have two bodies one at rest doing something else. Wow. One out doing your work at night for you. Yeah. So that was weird because the next morning I told my friend, and he kind of looked at me like, you know, like, okay, fine. And then I, I, and then, and then I said, uh, he was having problems with his father or something. And I went through this whole set of advice for him. I said, I feel that I need to tell you this stuff. And I blah, 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 blah. gave him all this great advice about family relations and stuff. And then he goes, you know, this is Sunday. There's a Sunday service at Self-Realization Fellowship at uh, Pacific Palisades, you know, Lake Shrine. We could go there. They got a new temple, you know. I said, okay. So we go there. And the random lecture that day, one of the monks gets up. They usually have a prepared thing. Mm-hmm. This guy randomly starts talking. And the guy keeps looking at me because this guy is actually delivering my advice that I gave this guy earlier in the day about family relationships and father and all this kind of stuff. And, and he says, did you know they were going to talk about that? I go, never heard it before. <laughs> it's like, so I gave him the same advice that was repeated to him by that self-realization fellowship monk. And I thought, okay, maybe what I saw in the morning was, was real. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like my thing to kind of, so that's another kind of autobody experience. And then there was what I call a rainbow body experience, hmm. which I gave it that name because I didn't know what to call it. I mean, I think the first time I, I talked about it, I called it uh, rainbow adventure, journey in the rainbow. I had no clue what it was. But I finally realized, number one, it's not a journey. And number two, it, wasn't, it, was, it was a film of light. Anyway, so what happened was, Remember, go how I, I finish my meditation. I go into bed. I'm staring at Yogananda's picture. Same thing again, except boom. There is no, there is no silver cord. There is no astral body. There's an instantaneous. I am now light. I'm a film of light, hmm. rainbow light. And for 30 years, I thought. When I told the story, I said, I'm traveling because it was like Star Trek, right? With all the lights going, shh, you know, and you just like warp speed. And I thought I was traveling through space, time and everything. 
And I woke up one morning and I had this insight and I realized, wait a minute, I couldn't be traveling because traveling means I was going in one direction. I was going in all directions, including up and down, sideways, and in between. So therefore, it was not travel. It was conscious expansion. In other words, my consciousness was expanding mm. as all these worlds and everything. And I could feel, I could feel other objects. I, I, I could hear them with, I, I could, all the senses were beyond. There was, there was more senses. It was, and that's what I talked about before about the sound of the universe. This is where that whole life I think came from. And then I was told later about the sound, but there really was that sound of the universe. Cause I'm listening to this hum, this, oh, it just penetrated my very soul penetrated my very being. It was there. It was like, it wasn't, I was listening to it. Mm -hmm. I was that sound. It wasn't like I was seeing these astral cosmic planets and weird stuff. And I wasn't seeing them. I was them. Whole different scope. You know, oh, I see that. I sense that. No, it was a part of my expanding consciousness. It was all one. But I'm traveling in this rainbow. I call it a rainbow body. It was like this rainbow stretched out, just, you know, just traveling. Right. And I realized I wasn't alone. It wasn't just me in this rainbow. It was like, if I go someplace, it would be like my fingers saying, oh, my fingers going someplace. No, my hands going someplace. No, all of you is going someplace, including the bacteria in you, everything, right? Mm -hmm. You're all one, right? And is the hand more important than the feet? Is it more important than the, every, everything needs to be there to be this body. And a rainbow was like that. It was like everybody was a piece of this rainbow family. It was a family. It was an energy. It was a light. They're all functioning as one, if that makes sense. But retaining the individual I mm -hmm. as part of this, but functioning as one. In this particular, I realized as I was traveling, okay, first off, I, and I keep using travel and, I, and I'm saying expanding, whatever, I'll, I'll keep intermission. So just for a practical point of view, travel. I, I can understand it better. You can understand it better. But I realized that this was a specialized grouping of entities, souls, spirits, beings, lights, whatever they were. Mm -hmm. We were specialized, just like somebody's, this is your spleen, this is your kid. We were, we were a group that was traveling this cosmic highway. And our task was to incarnate periodically people would leave this and go to earth or elsewhere to promote spiritual growth and love evolution. And these people, people, 
these beings, these lights, these entities, these souls, spirits, whatever, they would not all be on earth or someplace else all at the same time. There'd always be somebody in this group here. And they, this group would be sending love and help and vibrations for the people that have incarnated. And these people would incarnate into a life and they wouldn't remember any of that. But they'd have a task. And that task would be to teach love and service, to teach people to evolve, teach forgiveness. And then I realized there were other rainbow bodies. And some rainbow bodies were about science and math. Another rainbow body was about the evolution of philosophy, politics, and medicine. There's another group for medicine and all these different facets. And these groups would come and help civilizations, wherever they're at evolving, evolve their medicine, evolve their spiritual evolution, evolve their their electronics and all that stuff. You know, I'm sure there's guys that have come back in here just to lead us into the new age of electronics and all that stuff that brings and, and medicine. So it wasn't just my group, but my group, the group I was with, that was like, the most it felt to me that that was the most important thing because even if you didn't have the medicine and all the politics and the philosophy uh this was the most important and it was important to keep coming back and, and then evolve back but have to volunteer to come back again it's like they got out of the cycle but they keep evolving to come back so i'm telling you this thing because what was happening and, and then i'm looking at 300,000 years. This experience lasted, this is crazy talk, but it lasted 300,000 years. That's the sense I had. And in real world, the body I left behind, it was only about an hour and 10, 15 minutes. But while it was exit, when I was vacant from the body, again, time and space, different, right? It's a whole different thing. And there is, you know, so I'm seeing the future. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the past. Uh, it's a sliding thing. It's all happening now. But it was like 300 million years. And it wasn't until I remembered I had a wife and children. It was over. And I'm in my body, and it was like a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds. Boom! Here I am. And then I just broke down, bald like a baby. But it wasn't until I remembered that I had this self, this ego here on Earth. Yeah. As soon as I remembered that identity, I was back, and it felt like such a loss. I came back. I tried to explain to my wife. I just couldn't. I was a stir. I was really. I was out of it, and it's taken me. That happened in 1972, three, four, maybe 72. So it's taken me all this time to still figure out the meaning of it. Because honestly, I could probably write a whole book just on that because it was like what I saw in the future, what I saw in the past, where we're going. It's an evolutionary process. But there seems to be a cycle about 300,000 years or so. There's a cycle. Not just here on Earth, not just in our cosmos, but everybody's got their own cycle. Mm-hmm. 
a creative cycle. You know, as things are being destroyed, things are being created. It's, it's the nature of the cosmos. So I came back. I remembered some things vividly. Some things I remembered that I know that I cannot talk about, forbidden to talk about. Some things I couldn't remember at the time, but five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, I begin to realize or remember, I go, oh. And then 30 years after the fact, I go, that wasn't traveling. That was expansion. It was expanding the consciousness. So these little things, I'm still taking bites of that apple, trying to get the whole impact of it. But there's certain parts of it that I'll never be able to reveal. It's like, no, you can't go there. And we're not even, and some parts will let you remember, but there's some parts we're not even going to let you remember. Cause I know I, it's like, I start to remember and it's like, no, you can't open that door. Hmm. That's you. You can't take that back. That's 200,000, 300,000 years back. You can't take that. You gotta, you gotta stay focused here. You can't, you can't unwrap the gift for everybody. And even for yourself. So there's a lot more examples of what I call sliding through time because to use old school technology, reel to reel or videotape, right? You go to somebody's house in the old days, the guy's watching a VCR tape. He picked it up at the blockbuster, right? And you come there and he's in the middle of the movie and you go, how come that guy's in jail? How come he's picking on this guy? You know, well, he doesn't deserve it. And you're worried about the guy, but you don't know at the end of the movie, he, he gets the girl, he's proven innocent, he's free, he lives a good life. And you didn't see the beginning where he did all this crap that caught up with them and, you know, some, you know all that. But that's our life. It's like a VCR tape. Hmm. Wherever you find yourself at now, what happened before is still on the tape. It could go back thousands of years, many lifetimes. And, and, and it's it still got the so-called quote-unquote future of that tape, the ending, it's on there too. So when somebody reads the future, all they have to do is focus on what part of the tape that they want to focus on. Mm -hmm. So in my new book coming out called I Still Remember Tomorrow, which people, what do you mean still remember tomorrow? I said, look, at my age, I can't remember where I put my keys at, Mm -hmm. but – and have trouble remembering what I did, you know, or what I had for breakfast, but I still do remember tomorrow. And it's really a matter of remembering it and sliding there. So if you make up your mind, you want to look at that. It's, it's all here. It's all now. All you have to do is I use the term slide. I don't know what the, I, I maybe someday I'll read a book and somebody will explain better. What to me is just a matter of shifting my, my focus. Let's shift on the next 30 years and I see all kinds of problems, right? You know, know. so it is what it is. So time, which isn't true, it's not a true thing, but as long as you believe that you have a body, as long as you believe in reincarnation, incarnation, as long as you believe in the self and the I, then you have to deal with time. But once you slip past that you you've conquered time and now you, you you've transported yourself to a little little higher level it's a little higher but you still got to deal with certain things like a body 
until you finally slip the bounds of all this. So anyway, so that's kind of where that's at. It's interesting that you end on time because we're running out of time. But but before we leave, a couple things. One, what was the name? I've interviewed so many guests that I apologize. I have forgotten the the title of your of your other book, Alchemy of a Warrior Heart and Warrior. I can't read it; it's too small. Uh, Okay. And Warrior Spiritual Odyssey. Spiritual Odyssey. Where can we get? And then this this book's about all my adventures in India and miraculous and all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, and then the next book takes up from where these two books leave off. And I decided not just to have stories. I decided it's time to talk a little spiritual philosophy. Mm-hmm. In other words, I've got you inspired in these books. I'll inspire a little bit in that book. But once you inspire somebody to do what? It's like, okay. Now what do we do? We're inspired. Now what do we do? So I feel an obligation in this next book to kind of say, mm-hmm. okay, let me, I've got you to the foot of the mountain. Let me give you a, a map to get up to the top. So let's take a look at this thing. But I always like everybody to discover their own truth. And I say that because even I, as I hopefully am evolving, because you either go, nobody stands still. You're either evolving or, or devolving, right? You're either getting less energy or more energy. That's it. So your light is getting brighter or it's getting dimmer. You can't stand still. So that's the journey we're on. So I tell people the biggest thing in life is to do your Dharma, whatever it is, whatever your purpose is. And it's just different for everybody. I mean, this guy's going to be a doctor. This guy's going to be whatever. But ultimately, if you narrow it all down, it's all about love. We're here to love and we're here to serve. And they're the same thing. So I tell people, don't go look at what should you do and f- focus on what's your career. And mm-hmm. this. If you focus on loving and serving, you'll find a career. You will find the truth. You will find love. You'll find your purpose. And you will find the end of the rainbow. And f- realize that you are the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there truly is a pot of gold mm-hmm. in the heart, in the soul. There you go. That's a great final message. Uh, before we go, I guess you can get your books on Amazon. We just have to search. Amazon? Yeah. Amazon's the best place because it's sold in, in, in India on Amazon and, and Germany and Italy and England. Wow. And so just go to the country, Amazon, that way you get it printed and delivered there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the autobiography, which is uh, this book, is also an audio book. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and it's also a download book, and it's the other books a, a download as well, but not an audio. So, uh, and the other book's coming out in September. That's my goal. And uh, you always have to set a goal. Yeah. So, um, I I hope that if anybody heard anything on this show, they don't listen to me thinking, "Oh, that's neat." Bill McDonald did that. Reverend Bill. No, it's not about me. It's not even about Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. It's about all of us. If you don't get any of the message, you realize that it's about all of us. You can't exclude anybody. When you start thinking you're better than the president or you're better than this guy, you're better than that guy, you're better. No, we're all one. Everybody's your brother. Everybody's your sister. It's a part of you. And if it's part of you, how could you hate the other person? You should always reach out, try to, to uplift others. Sometimes they may have to go to jail to learn a lesson, but you don't hate them while they're in jail. You love them. 
but they're dangerous. You don't let them out, right? So as we evolve, it's a task of all of us to help our brothers and sisters. There's no fun to get to the top of the mountain and you're all by yourself. That's kind of lonely. Yeah. There you go. Jeffrey, thank you for having me. Thank you, Reverend Bill. And I'm especially saying Reverend Bill because the next time I have you on, I'm just kind of giving you a planting a seed here. I want to know the backstory of how you became a minister and your experience with that. So we'll just kind of leave it with that. But that'll take us to Folsom Prison where I was a chaplain and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Thank you so much again for joining me. I really appreciate it. And you have a wonderful night, sir. Namaste. Bye bye.